This time on the Jewel Show podcast. Going off to college and waving bye to mom and dad is an awesome day for most young people. But for college students raised in foster care, they said goodbye to their parents years ago. Where most students have family that they can call in a pinch, foster kids aren't so lucky. That's where April Farlow and the volunteers at Lydia's Place step in to help. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're just living your life and then all of a sudden you come across such a big need that you just got to stop and you got to say, okay, there's something I can do for this need. My friend, April Farlow, she started a ministry called Lydia's Place and Lydia's Place really just started because you just came across a need that you just had to do something about. Well, it's funny. I came across this need in my work. So in my career, Uh I was asked to speak at a conference. And at the conference, there were 400 young adults who were aging out of foster care. And in complete transparency, I was not happy to be there that day because it was a volunteer opportunity and there were other paid opportunities that had come in since. And so I was a little frustrated at the some of the things that were going on behind the scenes. Wow. When I got there, it, was, it, it blew my mind, exactly what you described. It was a moment that changed me forever. And so I was there to talk about vision development And I was meeting kids who had been given such a hard start. And some of them were so burned by what had happened to them. And some of them were so excited to get out on their own and to try to make life work. I would love to say that I left there and blazed a trail and did something immediately. And that is not how it happened. I thought about it and it etched a memory in my mind. But it really was 10 years later when when I knew it's time. And that's when I became a mom. And I started thinking, I'm rocking my child and I'm like, wait a minute. Who knows these kids' birthday? And who's worried about their food allergies? And their, and so it, it took me a lot of time marinating in order mm. to do something, but it never left my mind. But it started when you weren't even looking for it. No. <laughs> God planted that seed, and then he just started watering it and watering it. Ten years, I had no idea. Yeah, it was a long time. And so Lydia's place, you all help kids who are aging out of foster care. Explain the need. Paint that picture for us. Sure. So we know that every year approximately 400 young adults age out of foster care in Georgia. Okay. So it's important to know that that's in Georgia. Just in Georgia? Yep. Wow. Of those, we know that in a year's time, one in five will be homeless. That does not seem okay to me. Mm -mm. We also know that less than 3% of those will go on to get a bachelor's degree. We feel, those who've come alongside me in this journey, that we can help hedge the bets for these kids. That we can help step in the in the middle to help them figure out adulting if you will sure and and tell me though april when a child ages out of foster care what happens is it that day i mean what is there transitioning is there anything that help for them sure so it's very important to paint the picture that through the department of family and children's services these kids have awesome opportunities to stay in college to get their college fully paid for to really transition into an adult through the age of 21. Okay. the problem is that When I was 18, I didn't necessarily make wise decisions. And we often meet the kids after they've chosen to age out. So they have made the choice and they realize that adulting is hard and they're not able to make it on their own. So so that is one way that we meet them. Another way that we end up meeting kids is that they came from a family where they weren't in state custody and perhaps they should have been. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it was just a hard upbringing, a hard life or hard financial situation. Mm -hmm. And so even if they have a family who wants to help them, they just can't. Um, And sometimes it's not even just the financial support. It's the emotional support. Mm. Mom and dad never went to college. Mom and dad really are living paycheck to paycheck or off the system. And so they don't know how to navigate getting a career. 
And so they need someone to step in and help them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I'll also say that there are awesome systems in place for these kids. If they check every box and they do everything right, and, and I would say that we typically meet the kids who fall in the cracks. Uh, let me give you an example of that. Mm-hmm. So um, we have met with kids who have gotten a scholarship to go to college, even if they've aged out of foster care, even if, but, but they can't pay the application fee to get into the school. And so, which is how much? I mean, it could be $200. Yeah. And so it's, it's a small, it's to them, it's astronomical. To us, it's very doable. And it helps us fill in a gap where they can keep going to college. And $200. Yeah. It's not, it is a roadblock. I mean, it's, it's, it's the end. It's to, and I can remember when I was in college, that would have seemed like a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But today I'm looking going, do not let that get in your way. I will say one of the challenges is that most of these kids have been told no many times in their life. So if they're told no one time, they don't ask again. And it's very important that we um, help them see that you go ask a different way. You go If, in other words, you were declined for this, they're not going to go back and ask why. And it mm. may be that they just checked the wrong box on something. They don't have a parent helping navigate what to do next. Those decisions. Yeah. Well, so, is it hard for them to um, get, is it hard for you to get them to trust you? So I would say that I've learned a lot in time. Um, I will say one of the challenges is that we will get a call or a referral. And sometimes it will be, there's a young person who's living in their car. There's a person who's couch surfing. And it used to be my mentality of, dun, 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 go save them right now. And I've learned that you will scare them to death if you do that. And so, uh, one, their situation didn't happen overnight. And if you fix it all overnight, that is overwhelming to them and they will run often. Instead, if I meet them where they are and we focus on, okay, what are we doing today? We can get to forever over time. But we really have to get back into survival mode with them. Okay, have you had lunch today? Okay, what do you need next? And it usually, um, to give you an example of this, when I meet with a young person, the very first time I meet them, they don't cry. I I can say that I've never had one cry the first time that I meet with them. But by the third or fourth time that I meet with them, they're sobbing. And it's because they've really had to guard themselves so well wow. for so long that it takes them a while to trust me enough to break down. And have you catch them. Know that you're going to be there to catch them when they break down, when emotionally they say, I, I mean, because d- d- think about, I'm, I'm thinking about, the, you know, myself when I was 18, 19, and um, I always had my parents to catch me oh. when I did some really dumb stuff. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, really dumb stuff. But, but, um, but I always knew my parents were there to catch me. So, and, and I think that's really important to talk about because um, for the purpose of parents, I should have been disqualified from this role because I had parents who loved on me, doted on me, and provided every single thing I could ever need before I knew I needed it. And so to step into a place with kids who were, are so living the opposite of that has been a real wake-up call for me. And um, I, I will say that the, the training that I have really is from being a mom. It has nothing to do with social work background or anything like that. But I had a mom who stood in every gap I could ever even imagine. And so sometimes I find myself thinking, what would my mom do? Yeah. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, it, for some of the kids who've come from a really hard background, that's hard to accept in the beginning. So I have to back off a little and then 
help them when they're ready. Um, A great example of this is that sometimes I will meet someone who is living in their car, or I I think it's important to paint the picture that most of them are not hanging out in their car. Some are. I've met several who are. More than likely, they're couch surfing, which means they are going from one friend's house to the next friend's house, and they are sleeping on their couch until that person gets worn out with them, and then they move down the road. And and, and they're also trying to keep their grades up and study while couch surfing or sleeping in their car. Or Or, um, some of the schools around have a program where they can stay at a homeless shelter. The problem is um, packing up and and then getting to class and getting back and getting the transportation back and forth and having all your stuff with you all the time. And, and that's hard for us to imagine where my clean out pile looks bigger than their everything they own pile. Helping them get out of that day-to-day mode, it is it can be very challenging. But But I would say that when I meet them and they are couch surfing, Sometimes they don't realize how desperate they are in that mm. moment. Um, so, so they don't realize that they're one, they're one person getting mad at them away from being on the street. Sometimes I, don't, I can't sweep in and help them right away because they're not ready to accept that help or they don't like the option I've given them. So I might show them an apartment and they go, no, I can't live there. And all of a sudden, a couple of weeks go by and that looks really appealing when they have no other option. And so sometimes it's allowing them some time to, to, to come into their own and realize their needs. Mm-hmm. And I've had to get a lot more comfortable with knowing they're going to come back. I've never had one who didn't, but they come back when they need you a little bit more. And I think it's a really neat way to earn trust with them when you show up again, even though they didn't call you for a few weeks or whatever, when you say, okay, now you're ready, let's go. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of minutes ago, you were just sharing the the odds are against them. And, and then you just painted the picture why it's against them. Why Listen, such a small percentage graduate college? Why such a high percentage are on the streets? Well, let's also say we know the, the level of those who will be incarcerated is high. It makes me mad to think about that. And I have to acknowledge that as I've come to know these kids and I see what they're dealing with, the things that are getting them in trouble are often very small, but they stack up. Mm. And if I were in their situation, I don't know. I, I was raised in a different environment. I don't know that I wouldn't have made some of the poor decisions they're making because they don't know any different. Right. Um, and some of them are, are boldly being wrong, but some of them are not. Some of them are trying really hard. There's no adult speaking some truth or some knowledge or no. helping or... No, they're survival is a mentality. It is something that some of them have gotten so used to that they tell a little lie and a little lie. And the reason they're doing that is because that's how they've survived. And when they come to a place, they realize they don't have to do that anymore. Um, It's very eye-opening for them, but it can also be a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, So the ministry is called Lydia's Place. Tell everybody how you came up with that name. Sure. Um, So biblically, um, Lydia is known in the Bible to have said, if you believe me to be a follower of Jesus Christ, come into my house and stay. And and I'm big on that. And I think it's very important within Lydia's Place to know that we do not require the kids that we serve to believe what we believe. We hold our volunteers and our team accountable to behaving in a way that represents our love for Jesus Christ. That does not mean that the kids have to. But to go further than that, um, Lydia's Place is named after my great-grandmother. So right around the same time that I was determining that this is a need that I want to step into, uh, my grandmother, Berlene Worley, was in hospice care and was dying. And on the very last time that I would go to visit her, I was kind of the daughter she never had. Mm. And it was, I was, I literally went in to tell her it was okay to go. And as I was sitting next to her bed, I said, I promise you. And I looked at the picture of her mother. I said, I will tell her story. And her name was Lydia. 
And Lydia is someone, her mother, who in the 20s was a single mom. That's pretty hard in itself. And she had a tiny house with a little bit of land, and she would take people in as they needed a place to stay. And then over time, she built a second house and then a third. And they were rental properties, but she would help people get back on their feet through those properties, charging whatever she could or doing what they needed to help them relaunch, whether they were family members or community members. And and that's what we want to do. We want to step in. We want to house people mm. when they can't, when they don't have a place to live. We want to love them when they don't have anybody to step in. And we want to represent what Lydia Height did and mm. also biblically what Lydia did. Mm. Wow. Wow. And uh, I, I, you know, when you were telling the story, I just think about, wow, your great-grandmother's is in heaven now looking down and saying, wow. And cheering you on. We had a we had a, a really funny moment in our family because we, we were on the front page of the local newspaper telling this story. And and underneath was the president and all these other things. And I was like, would she have ever imagined in her <laughs> wildest imagination that, that here her name would be on the front page of the newspaper? <laughs> yeah, because she was just doing the, the thing. She saw the need and she was just answering the need, just like Lydia's place, what you're doing now. That's And, and really, I look back often and think, what did what would she have done? Um, there's a story about her that I think really paints the picture of the situation she was in. Um, it was following the Great Depression. My dad asked her a question and said, um, what was it like to grow up in the Great Depression? And she said, son, I never knew when it came and I never knew when it left. <laughs> I was just always in it. <laughs> and and that really mm. is a state of our kids that mm-hmm. we're serving. And let me give you an example of that. We were working with a young man named Patrick recently. And we met him because he was selling plasma to try to eat so that wow. tells you how desperate his situation was and he had really become they become a habit to go and sell his plasma and um when we started introducing him to people around the community who could help him he was meeting with paul who works with lydia's place in operations now and he said i'm just having a hard time having any hope that these people will actually come through and i think that's one of the biggest things that are we strive to do and that is to give someone hope that you can believe again that you can try again, that you can face these odds one more time, and that we will catch you. Wow. Wow. Well, and, and you've done some um, partnership. One is Habitat for Humanity that, that's giving more options. Yes, I would say it's my most exciting partnership right now. <laughs> I'm super excited about it. Um, it. It's also neat. My husband and I did a, a prayer. Uh, it was a devotional called Draw the Circle. And I drew a circle years ago that said, Someday, I want to work with Habitat for Humanity. This was through the Lydia's Place process. And today, to see what we're doing is just amazing to see how God is answering that prayer. We have been able to... So Athens area Habitat for Humanity is pretty unique in that they do rental properties as well. And so right now, we have students who are living in their rental apartments. But what we realized is these students often have unique needs as opposed to some of the others that they serve. They need the community around them. They need help. And we need to be able to house them immediately. And there's a wait list for their properties. And so we have partnered with Habitat for Humanity to build out, or renovate a quadruplex, which is four apartments, two bedrooms each. They each have a kitchen and a living room as well, where they will be on standby at all times. So when we get a student, we don't have to say, go back in your car or go back to the couch. Instead, we can say, tonight, here's a place where you can stay. Um, And so we're thrilled to be able to offer that. Wow. Well, and, and you know what? This is, if you can just help them just a little bit, 
their life, their future, graduate from college and, and get a job. I mean, like the future is unlimited. Yeah, I think it's really important to paint the picture of how fast this can all happen. So um, mm-hmm. and let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working with a girl at Kennesaw State University recently, and I got the phone call from her from the ICU of the hospital. And she said she had applied for a scholarship and we had not gotten back to her yet whether or not she would receive the scholarship. And she called me and she said, I just need to know if I'm going to get the scholarship. And she said, because my rent is due and I'm in the ICU and I can't pay my rent. And she had multiple seizures. She said, if I lose, if I can't pay my rent, I can't pay my medical bills, but also, or the medical bills had helped kind of contribute to this problem she couldn't pay her rent she would lose her medical equipment that was all in her apartment because she was going to be evicted while she was in the hospital so we stepped into her story if you will we paid her rent for that one month in lieu of the scholarship we were going to give her but because of that two months later i got a graduation invitation from her so this is someone who was about to be on the streets who because she got to keep her apartment she was able to graduate from Kennesaw State University with a four-year degree. Wow. So think about the difference there. I could have been homeless, or now I could have a four-year degree in my back pocket. Well, in the spiraling of being homeless, not having medical equipment, you would have well, flunked out of school. I mean, you couldn't have Well, and now I, not on. only that, I'm going to graduate from college and have debt, but I don't have a degree to go and get a job to pay that debt. And, and in her case, she was working three jobs while she was in college, and she was financially meeting all of her needs. But when she medically couldn't go to work anymore, she couldn't pay her bills, which would then eliminate her opportunity to go to college. So it's, it's a spiral effect that happens pretty quickly. And, and you're talking about, we, we paid $800 in rent to get her caught up with her late payments and all of that, and, and she graduated. It's, it's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money. No, right, right. Well, and, and I think so oftentimes, April, when I think foster care, I think about the children. They need to have home. They need stability. But you never think about, okay, but then what happens after foster care? What happens to these kids that didn't have the stable childhood? Um, and, and so I see why when you came, became aware of the need. Well, and let's be real. Teenagers are hard. Yeah. Like, and so when so <laughs> some of these we call anyone who we're working with in Lydia's place a friend. Some of these friends, they've made bad decisions. Some of them have made really good decisions. Um, but be, when they've been hurt as a child, as a teenager, they are often suffering the consequences of that. And so as they get out on their own and they haven't dealt with some of their emotional challenges, it's hard for them to hold down a job. It's hard for them to do some of these things until they have someone guiding them through. Yeah. Well, and I think the the great privilege I have had is that um, you and I met before Lydia's place became mm-hmm. as big as it is. We met, actually, our, our daughters were in preschool together. And uh, so a number of years ago, and so I have the privilege of saying now looking back all these years later and being like, wow, look what God did. But it first started off when you just became aware of the need and then God planted that seed in your heart. God started watering it. But who would you say came alongside to help you? along the way. Because this is, I mean, you know, it can be overwhelming when you hear about, whoa, <laughs> you're partnering with Habitat for Humanity and, and you're you're walk, working with these kids statewide now, but it started off one little need. It's, you know, it's easy to look back and yeah. think, oh, that was easy. And nothing about it was easy, it was God. Right. Um, so two people really come to my mind when I think about who, who pushed this thing forward. And the first is that um, this is not my full-time job. So everything about the timing of Lydia's Place was wrong. Mm-hmm. I was a new mom, and I have a job, and I'm trying to go back to work, and we're going to do this? It didn't make sense. But I felt very strongly that God laid it on my heart and was pushing me. And the reason that I felt that is that the right people were aligning to come along and help me. 
And um, so I was teaching a class on vision development. I, I do training for Dale Carnegie training. And um, near my house, it was kind of a welcome back to work. We're going to let you teach a class close to home. And in that class, um, again, um, it was a 12-week class. My grandmother is passing in the middle of all of this. And there was another student in the class who was losing his mom. And we were kind of mm-hmm. walking through the hospice journey together. And both of them passed during the class. At the graduation, the, the guy who I'm talking about, his grandfather, his name is Archie Crenshaw, came along. And he, he came up really to thank me for what had happened with his grandson along the way in the class. And, and I just taught about vision development. He said, by the way, what's your vision? What are you doing with your vision? And I'm thinking, guy, I get a pass. I'm a teacher here. <laughs> I got babies. <laughs> like, 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 come on, I'm doing good to show up here. Yeah. And he says, and I said, well, you know, someday I want to help kids aging out of foster care. And he said, well, what are you doing about that today? Woo, girl. <laughs> I said, uh, nothing. I'm going home to nurse my baby, really. Like, that's what but I'm one doing. one day, one day. And he said, can you go to lunch? And I said, no, I have to go relieve the babysitter. Um, but he and I did meet for lunch again a few weeks later. Mm. And he looked at me and he said, I didn't realize this, but at that time he was there to interview me for a job. And I thought we were there to talk about corporate training. And we literally ended up talking about foster care the entire time and and he would look across the restaurant people would be coming to talk to him and he would say you know we're doing some um james 127 work here and he's talking we're we're helping the orphans over here and i'm like no we're not i don't even know how to help them this was just a thought for this was a fleeting thought the kids go off to college in fact i never should have said it out loud Uh, but he uh. looked at me at the end of it and he said and i thought he was going to say you know you're stupid like you don't even know what you're doing and he said you need to start a prayer team about this and i thought i can't do anything else right now but i'll do that like, I'm going to follow up with this guy. Just that's what I'm going to do. And and I will say the corporate trainer in me did come through in the prayer team because I emailed him and followed up with my outline of what we would be praying through. And I'm sure that was kind of surprising at the same time. Um, we, we did start a prayer team. I specifically went looking for girls who were not my close friends, um, although some of them were my close friends. I was really looking for people who are passionate about foster care. So we ended up with some adoptive moms, some foster parents, some a lady who had actually been in foster care as a child. So I went looking for people who had a vested interest in what we were working on. And we started praying through. And we took eight months and we prayed about this issue. And um, there were some heartbreaking moments in that. There were some fist-wrenching moments um, because I wanted to start a ranch for these kids. And I had heard about Eagle Ranch and I'd heard about Big Oak Ranch and I went and toured them both and and I kept being told no 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 and on one particular night I remember we were having our prayer team meeting and you got to make it fun for moms and so uh, my friend Heather Watson was hosting the night and we had invited the prayer team to come and we're all busy moms and one by one everybody starts like texting sorry can't make it tonight this kid's sick sorry can't make it tonight yeah. project do tomorrow whatever well it ended up that heather who was prepared to host this meeting has all the food laid out and it's just she and i sitting in her living room and i'm crying i'm mortified i'm like i have wasted her time this is embarrassing and this thing's bound to fail and i'll never forget that heather said i am committed to praying for you through this journey not I'm praying for your ministry, not I'm praying for these kids. I am going to pray you through mm. this journey. Wow. And it was a, a moment that for me will ever mm. change the way that you help people because it doesn't have to be that you're the front runner in it. She said, I'm going to be behind the scenes. Nobody ever has to know my name, but I'm praying you through this whole thing. Mm. And to look at where we are now, I, I would go back and tell anyone, 
that Heather was as important, if not more important, as I was in this entire journey. Because, it, I mean, it was your relationship with the Lord that was more important than um, getting the fundraising. And she got it. Yeah. She got it that God can provide all that. You just need to be still. I'm going to pray you through this. Wow. So, so if somebody is being called to do something, don't look 10 years down the line. Don't think about the ranch, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, and, and it's funny. I went to go meet with mm. Eddie Staub, who's powerful. He's the founder of Eagle Ranch. And I remember he told about uh, two people who'd come in to launch kind of their fundraising efforts. And one of them had this huge 10-year thing. And the other one, which just wanted to build a well in Africa. But because of they just wanted to build a well, all the people who were listening in the fundraising meeting kept saying, well, what's next? What's going to mm-hmm. be after that? And he, and he said, the guy who just wanted to build the well got the money. And he said, but it's because people knew an immediate next step. And Eddie looked at me when we went to meet with him, and he said, you need to build a well. You need to find one next step. And, and our first step became baskets that we provide for the kids who are aging out of foster care, and they make it to college. But do you ever think about the fact that they – um, they made it. They got a scholarship or they got the funding through Department of Family and Children's Services or through the state. Um, but they don't have sheets on their dorm bed. And that's embarrassing. And and that's real life. I mean, that's what's going on. That's very real. And they won't tell on themselves either. It's usually their roommate who's calling and saying, hey, I have a roommate who doesn't have anything in their dorm room. Can you help? And so we started with these baskets. Um, it was Archie's daughter. I was sitting at a women's lunch and I they said what's your next step going to be with Lydia's place and I said well next year we're going to start these baskets and Sissy Watson she put her hand on the table and she said next year and I, I remember I said because there's no way we could get it done this year and Sissy put her fist down on the table and she said no way we could do it this year she said that's not the God I serve <laughs> and wow I'm thinking really again we've got yeah. to move this fast and yet she was right in our very first year we got 60 baskets we spread them around the state of Georgia through the foster and homeless liaisons who are all on Georgia campuses for colleges so they identify the students we provide the basket and since then we've grown tremendously in being able to get the baskets out to these liaisons and we provide more than just baskets now so we're doing before it was just kind of like immediate dorm essentials now we're doing the um, getting the pillow and the comforter and the backpack and the school supplies so that someone doesn't look like they piece together their look for college when they're walking in and they're intimidated they look like like my, I'm basically registered when I went to college like for all the things that matched we now have community groups or businesses or people who come together and say we're going to take on this one student and they don't know them but they say we're going to this is going to be a male student who's going to the University of Georgia or this is going to be a male student who's going to Kennesaw and they make it all match and they make it all look like mom and dad prepped them to go mm. to school and can you imagine for your first week of school that lets them blend in in a way to build their confidence one more time and celebrate their accomplishment? Yes. And, and and that's important to say too. So in the basket, we put a note that says, "Welcome to college. You made it," and it has people's actual name. And most often, the people in the baskets will say um, their name. And here's my phone number if you want to call me. They usually don't get a phone call back, but they have somebody who said you can call me if you need to. And the, these are families within the community of the school right yeah. sometimes sometimes it's a boy scout cr- troop or a wow. c- community group for a church and it's just someone who's leading it up and saying let's collect these items well and such a tangible simple thing that you can do to help yeah so the baskets are usually between 250 to, 250 to 300 dollars. like if you look that's usually the cost of what it takes to get all that together but it's one person who says okay here's all the things that we need to collect 
and they get, and, I mean, we've had several neighborhoods come together and do multiple baskets. And then one person just puts them all together. They bring them to us. And then we get them to the foster and homeless liaisons who know the kids. So they're matching up. This is an African-American student, and this basket has all the right shampoo products for this person. This person is someone who likes pastel, and I know that. And so here's a bedspread that looks like it would match them. And so it can be a lot more personal. Even though we don't get to meet all of the students, the people who know them best can, can give them the supplies that best suit that person. Wow. You know, you you said a couple minutes ago about how $800 meant this one girl um, being homeless, meant therefore not graduating from college. So there are some real financial things. And I remember one time you told me, um, April, about um, parking tickets. We all get them in college. Get them now. But that one parking ticket could mean you can't. Yeah. go to school. So this was my wake-up call. I went to go and meet with David Myers, who works with the Fanning Institute at University of Georgia. And I was like, listen, I want to help. And one thing we do really well with these young adults is that we protect them. So I was saying I wanted to help for two years before anybody would show me how, because you can't, I mean, how do you go meet? I want to help the student, but where do you find them? Mm-hmm. And so David, I felt like I walked out of there and had had Christmas for a nonprofit. He, he was telling me, oh, well, these are all the things you could do to help these students because he coordinates a lot of the foster and homeless liaisons through Georgia. And um, David is the one who painted the picture for me. He said, listen, and he started talking about a parking ticket. And he said, it could be a parking ticket that when a student can't pay that ticket or a health services bill or a nutrition services bill, that they it could just be a small hold on their student account and we're talking like thirty dollars but because there's a hold on their account right they can't register for classes and if you're 18 you're not necessarily looking down the road but if you can't register for classes you can't live in the dorm and really quickly we have a student who's now homeless now i will say a lot has happened since we got started and there are family foundations that are coming alongside and they're helping um colleges have back accounts that okay let's just pay this let's do this um we are also one of those resources that can step in and help them. One other thing I think is important to mention here is we often get the students who are exiting college. Um, so they finished. And one problem when someone finishes school is that also the resources of school dry up. And so they were used to going to the food pantry. They were used to having an advisor who they could meet with. Um, Terry is a young adult we meet with here in Athens. And he went to the University of North Georgia on the Oconee campus. And he had an advisor named Barbara, who he will say marched him through college, that she (laughs) was a godsend to him. I mean, he will tell you that if anybody shaped his college career, it was her. And she met with him for months after school. But after a while, the resources on a college campus do dry up. And so she reached out to us and found us to try to help Terry. And um, today, Terry was he was couch surfing when we met him and today he has his own apartment fully furnished and two jobs. Wow. And and he's doing great, but it's that transition from college into adulthood that poses another obstacle another for step. someone who doesn't know how to navigate that. Right. Um, here's another thing that happens. Terry was a great example. He was actually making enough money. But if you don't have parents to co-sign on a lease, wow. Yeah. And you don't have any credit, nobody wants to take you on. And that's, again, how this Habitat for Humanity partnership is beneficial because they're allowing um, us to over, to step over some of those obstacles. And then this person can build credit while they're in this apartment. So then we can push them out into their own apartment that's maybe outside of our region, but they need to, they're ready to move. We've set them up better for a way to do that. Hmm. All right. Um, I'm going to take like a, a quick 30-second little break because I want you to think about this is – 
I know um, this started this ministry and we were talking about how this started when our kids were in preschool together and now being able to look back. Um, But I know trusting God, um, especially starting a ministry, leading a ministry, continuing a ministry can be difficult. So what are some of the challenges coming up um, that you are needing some prayer for? And and also um, just that other step of faith that you're going to be facing. On the latest episode of the Finding Joy podcast, Rob, Benji, and I travel to Sonoy and chat with Tyson Moore. Tyson's got over 84,000 followers on Instagram for his woodworking videos. One of the first things on the Instagram thing is it'll say, Tyson Moore, you know, Christ follower. I predetermined in my mind if I ever grew this to a place where a company was like, hey, we'll work with you and pay you hundreds of thousands of dollars, you just got to take that part off. It's just non-negotiable. It's not going to happen. Right. Find it under the On Air tab at thejoyfm.com or anywhere you subscribe to find podcasts. So we're learning about Lydia's Place. This is a ministry that helps kids who are aging out of foster care. April Farlow is a founder, and you started this ministry um, because you saw the need. And the timing was absolutely terrible, right? Yes. (laughs) You were starting back at work. You had a baby. uh, You were busy. Mm -hmm. um, But that doesn't stop God. And if you ever waited for the right time, I, I, I I would assume to say even today probably wasn't a great time to start this ministry. No, but if, if God had shown me what this ministry would become, I probably would have said no back then. But it grew really fast. And it's amazing how God just shows you just a little bit and a little bit, and so you can handle it. If he'd shown me everything from the beginning, I couldn't have. But you said uh, um, earlier in this interview, it was your prayer team. Mm, and it, it was, was having prayer warriors surrounding yourself with them um, that would pray you through all the challenges that you're going to face. Um, and, and I'm sure you could list them all off and say this, 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 and this. This is what my prayer team Absolutely. prayed me through. What is the next challenge um, that your um, prayer partners are praying you through? I think our constant prayer is, how do we help these kids best? Um, how do we find them? How do we identify them and, and really get closer to them and, and meet their needs? So that, that is our ongoing always prayer. The next huge prayer is that um, I, in my own prayer life, I did a class called Mission Increase, and it it was life-changing for me through this journey. And one of the things you had to do was a soul care plan, and it was taking care of yourself before you could take care of your ministry. Because you can't give from an empty cup, you know. And so um, it it was a big awareness for me that I've been called to start Lydia's Place, but I am not necessarily cared to run the day-to-day operations of it because my skill set— is, has been strong to start it. I feel like I've done a good job, but I feel like there's great opportunity for us to do repeatable processes to grow. And and we are in a, a huge growth time. And, or it, it's a great place for us to be growing. And so we have teams of people now who are coming in and helping us get to those next steps and praying that we keep a very clear vision and that we keep very clear what God wants us to be doing next is, is of the utmost importance to us. So what is that going to look like then for you? Um, it looks like, well, let's just say as Lydia's Play started, every one of these kids' numbers were in my cell phone. It looks like having spreading. I can't handle them all. And so it's yeah. it's now having volunteers. Because it's statewide now. Yeah, it's, it's having volunteers step in. It's having an intake process. Letting go. It's huge about letting go. And, and it allows me to get back to the part of the ministry that I love, and that is meeting for lunch and helping and, and, and meeting with the students and having our team prayerfully consider how do we – do this in a repeatable fashion so that we can move and spread out. Well, and uh, I, and, I, and I can see when, when I asked that question and, and you were answering it, that this is your baby. This is, this is something you saw from the very beginning. And so just take a step back and say, okay, this is where I'm gifted. This is where I'm not. I'm going to trust God. Yeah. And, and, and realizing that 
there are different people with different skill sets. And so when I, I know that I'm a people person. I love to have people around me. I love to connect people. And in looking, I said, we need someone who can make processes happen so that we can start another Lydia's place down the road and somebody else can do it all again, not have to start from the very beginning. And um, we have, Paul Clark has come in to help us do that with our operations. And it has been game-changing for our nonprofit and our ministry. Um, But he's using skills that are different than mine, equally important to mine, and and will help us in partnership grow even bigger. And so your relationship with the Lord has always had to be centered. And if you ever neglected that, um, this ministry wouldn't be where it is, even now on this stage, because you had to know who you are in Christ, that this ministry is not who you are. This is something that you get to do, no. right? And, but if you if you got that mingled up, then letting go and letting in Lydia's place go to another level by having other skill sets come in, you, you know? know um, there, there was a very distinct moment when I realized that. Uh, we had applied for a grant that I felt sure we were eligible to get, and it was to finish out this quadruplex. We didn't get it. And I I still don't know why. And I have to say, like, personally, it challenged me. It hurt. And for whatever reason, I took it really personally that we didn't get it. And and I'll I'll go ahead and confess what I did. The day we didn't get it, I went and stood in front of the quadruplex, and I prayed, and I cried, and I sobbed. And I said, God, like, why? And, And it was such a great moment that God said, if I'm going to provide for this, this is not you. It is not your success. It is not your failure whether this ministry takes off or not, this is about me and you have to lean on me. And not all that long later, we got a surprise donation for the same amount we had applied for for the grant from a different contributor in our community through the Athens Area Community Foundation. And it was, if I've ever known that God was working with me and backing me up, it was that moment. Wow. And it's about your spiritual journey. God didn't need you to do this. Anyone could have done this through God, or God could have used anyone. Anybody. And I was the least qualified and had the least spare time. If I look back on my life, most any other time would have been better than, than when this all happened. But I feel like God, uh, the biggest thing that he kept telling me was uh, the next, just one next thing. Um, the night that I knew we were starting Lydia's Place, we had applied for, or no, I had thought we were going to try to build a ranch. And I got to know. I got to, you can't do that with the current laws that are going to be changing. And I walked up and I looked, I walked outside that night. It was a full moon. I looked up and I was like, God, everybody's told me no. And if you want me to do something, you're going to have to show me how, but I'm available. And I think that is a phrase that anyone should know as they're seeking Christ and they're seeking to do his work is, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'll just make myself available. Thanks for joining us for this Jewel Show podcast. You can learn more about Lydia's Place by visiting their website at Lydia's, L-Y-D-I-A-S-Place.com. That's Lydia'sPlace.com. Archives of every Jewel Show podcast can be found at thejoyfm.com slash jewels.